Well, if you were here last week, um, you'll know that we're spending a bit of time in the next few weeks looking at this second letter of Peter's in the New Testament. And we saw last week that Peter's reason for writing this letter is so that his Christian readers will stand firm in their faith for Christ and in their living for him. And in the passage before us this morning, I think Peter's major emphasis is on remembering and on how important our memory is to our lives as Christians. And as I was thinking about that, I was struck just by how important our ability to remember certain things is to our lives. And I was reminded of two films that have been made in the last couple of years that deal with memory, and more precisely with loss of memory. The first one is a film called Memento. I don't know if anyone's seen that. It's a very dark thriller, a very confusing film, about a man with no short-term memory. He is unable to make any new memories, so that every few minutes he forgets where he is, who he knows and doesn't know, what he's just done. And in the film, he's trying to find the man who murdered his wife. But his condition makes that almost impossible to achieve. He tries desperately to help himself remember. He writes himself notes. He takes photos. He even tattoos his body to try and remember what it is he's looking for. But without a memory, the film keeps asking, how will he ever know if and when he finds the man that he's looking for? Now, the second movie is a lot more light-hearted. It's called Fifty First Dates. Again, I don't know if anyone's seen that one. It's basically memento, but as a romantic comedy, which is maybe hard to imagine. Um, but the plot has the hero meet and fall in love with a woman with no short-term memory. The most she can remember is one day. So when the two of them spend time together, it's really clear they're made for each other, they're a brilliant couple. But every morning, when the woman wakes up, she has no memory of who this man is. And so he has got to try and woo her all over again. It's a, it's a good fun film, um, where Memento is very dark and confusing. But both films emphasize the difficulties of living without a memory. They both stress that we need to remember certain things if we're going to live. And without a memory, the question is, how do you remember what is important in your life, whether good or bad? See, moving from major medical conditions to day-to-day life, it's clear that we all suffer from memory loss from time to time. I mean, I've managed to forget my mum's birthday um, a few too many times for her liking, and that is a cardinal sin. Um, And wedding anniversaries, I'm told, can be a nightmare if one person forgets the big day. Um, Lily and I haven't yet had our first wedding anniversary, so I'll let you know how we get on with that. So the effect of us failing to remember things can range from just the frustrating to the very hurtful. And as I thought about this issue of remembering, I was forced to think how unreliable I can be in my relationships with other people because of my memory. Because all too often I can make rash promises that then I forget to keep. Of course I'll be there on time, don't worry. No, I won't let you down on that one. How about, I'll pray for you this week. Again, I can't remember the times I've said that to someone and seen them a week later 
And so you realize I've totally forgotten to pray for them. So remembering the big things in life is important. And forgetting the big things in life can be disastrous and destructive. And Peter tells us here in this passage that nowhere is it more true that we need to remember things than in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now you may have been a Christian here this morning for 50 years. Or you may have just begun in your new life with Jesus. Or you may just be considering the claims of Jesus, thinking, is he worth all the fuss that's made about him? But for all of us here today, Peter has a lot to say to us about the importance of remembering Jesus. And in particular, remembering his glory and his grace. Now, as Tim pointed out last week, Peter is writing this letter at a unique point in history. Because he's writing near the end of his life. And near the end of what's often called the apostolic era. And this was a frightening time for the early Christian church. Because the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, people like Peter, the first generation of Jesus' followers, were beginning to die out. Some were dying of natural causes. Many were being killed because of their commitment to Jesus. And Peter himself would be martyred under the reign of Emperor Nero. And for those Christians left behind, a frightening question began to be asked. What was going to happen to the church when all the apostles were gone? When all those who had seen the risen Jesus with their own eyes were dead? And thankfully for those early Christians, the same question is on Peter's mind as he writes this letter. What will happen to Christians when he's gone? And Peter is determined that they're going to be ready for that day. I'll just read verses 12 to 15 here. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Now it's a useful question to ask. Why is it so important to Peter that the Christians remember these things he's been telling them? If you look back to verses 10 to 11 from last week, we basically see that it's important because actually it's a matter of eternal life or death that Peter's readers remember what he's taught them. See, if they do remember in verse 11, then they will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But if they don't remember these things, then verse 10 tells us there's a real possibility they will fall. They won't be able to remain faithful to their calling without remembering these things. So what are these things that Peter urges them to remember? Well, again, they're the things that Peter looked at last week, the things that Tim led us through last week. I'm just going to fire through those very quickly. Firstly, in verses 1 and 2, Peter wants them to remember that God has saved them through Christ's righteousness. Because Christ was righteous, Christians 
are able to be forgiven by God and to know him. And this happens because of God's grace through Christ's death on the cross for us. And secondly, in verses 3 to 4, Peter wants them to remember God's great power is now at work in all who believe. And the promises he makes to us through his word are trustworthy. We're going to turn to that again in a minute. Verses 5 to 7. In response to God's saving grace, for this very reason in verse 5, Christians are to make every effort to display the Christ-like qualities of a godly life. Then verse 9. Christians must never forget their need of Christ's forgiveness in their lives. And then verse 11. Christians can now rejoice in the hope of heaven. So these are the things Peter commits himself to reminding these Christians of over and over again for as long as he lives. And he's committed to that because these are the fundamental truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's grace in sending Jesus. God's power in saving us. God's call to holiness. Our need of forgiveness. And our hope of heaven. So that is what Peter wants them to remember. Remember the gospel of grace. That's verses 12 to 15 here. Now, you can see when I read that earlier on, there's actually a bit of a surprise in verse 12. Because basically in verse 12 he says, I will always remind you of these things, not because you've forgotten them, but actually even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So that really begs the question, why does Peter go to such efforts that these Christian believers remember the gospel if they already know it? and have come to know God through it. See, isn't it more important for unbelievers to hear the gospel than for believers? I mean, since Peter's writing to believers, shouldn't he move on to things they haven't heard about yet? Maybe new things about God they need to know about. I mean, the big question is, doesn't Peter risk boring his readers by going over the gospel with them again? I mean, won't his message become a little monotonous after a while? Now, I remember being at a holiday Bible club um, when I was living in Durham, and we were looking at the cross with a group of eight to ten-year-olds. And one of the girls in my group was from a church family, and she'd been to a fair number of holiday clubs in her time. And she turned to me in the middle of our group, and we were talking about the cross, and she said to me, this is so boring. I mean, I know all of this. I mean, can't we do something a bit different? Now, I think that may say a lot about the way I was actually leading that Bible group time, and to be fair, but I think it also says a lot about a major trap that we can all fall into. See, any young person who's gone to a gospel-focused church for a while will have heard the basic facts of the gospel and the message of the cross over and over again in their lives. And as for an adult believer, we may have heard it countless times. And the question that girl's attitude made me ask, and the question that Peter's words here should make us all ask, is are you bored with the gospel? Do you think you know it already? Do you think you're ready for bigger and better things in your Christian life? 
Because if the answer to that is yes, then Peter tells us here, you're in quite a bit of trouble. See, why is it so important that Christians remember the fundamental gospel of grace? Because it's only through a right understanding of the central truth of the gospel that we can know God, we can know Jesus, and we can know ourselves. See, apart from the gospel, we cannot know God. We cannot pray to him and expect him to hear us if we haven't accepted the gospel. And we're at the mercy of any false teaching about God, about Jesus, or about ourselves if we forget the truths of the gospel. And we're going to learn more about the dangers of false teaching in the next two weeks in chapters 2 and 3. You see, how we view the central message of Jesus Christ and him crucified is going to have a massive impact on our Christian lives. See, if we get bored with the same old message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross to save us, then we need to have our memories refreshed. See, the gospel message is fundamental to every aspect of the Christian life, not just how we become a Christian in the first place. See, sometimes I think we can think about the gospel as sort of a series of points to be memorized and then regurgitated to maybe an unbeliever that we know. See, the gospel isn't just sort of an entry ticket into the kingdom of God. So if you get your ticket, you get in, then you can throw it in the bin. You can move on to better things. And sometimes we can think of the gospel as sort of an ABC. Again, it's a good thing to know if you don't know anything about Jesus, but it's a bit basic for you as you grow and mature in your faith. See, what Peter tells us here is that is totally wrong. A totally wrong attitude to have about the gospel. See, the gospel is our food. It's our lifeblood. And it's the very air that we breathe if we are Christians here today. See, if we forget the gospel, if we forget the cross at the heart of the gospel, then Peter says we're going to die. If we forget the fundamental truths of the gospel, what it teaches us about Jesus, about God, about ourselves, and about the future, then we will fall. And that's because the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. And apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. It's only through the message of the cross we can know Jesus. And without the cross, then we begin to fall into the trap of blind guesswork or of wishful thinking. I think we maybe all fall into the trap of maybe saying, well, I like to think of Jesus as this. Or I've got a picture of Jesus saying this to me. I mean, think for a minute about friendship and about the friendship that we all have. I mean, probably many of us have had the experience of bumming into an old friend whom we were once really close to. We once really were able to share a lot of our lives with. But as time has passed, we've lost touch. We fail to stay in contact. And then when we do meet up again, it's all a bit awkward and a bit strained. See, without putting the effort in, even the closest friendship can dissolve as time passes. And the question for us this morning when we think about remembering the gospel is 
have you lost touch with Jesus? Have we lost touch with Jesus? See, the thing is, we cannot claim to know Jesus well if we don't relate to him on a day-to-day basis. And we cannot claim to know him well if we say that we once saw our need of him a long time ago, but now we live our lives as if we don't need him, as if we're fine without him. Basically, the attitude is, the gospel's great for unbelievers, but now that I'm a Christian, I find it all a bit, a bit basic, a bit straightforward. And that's why Peter is writing this letter, to make every effort that after his death, Christians will remember the gospel of grace. And again, we've got to ask, why is it so important to remember this gospel? What are the practical effects of us forgetting the gospel of grace? I have to think of about at least three of them. We begin to say to ourselves, well, I'm accepted by God on the basis of what I do, rather than on the basis of what Christ has done for us. I think a lot of us can fall into this trap when we take our eyes off the cross. And it is a terrible trap to fall into. Because it's going to lead us either to extreme legalism, trying desperately to live a perfect life, but ultimately it's going to lead us into despair. Because again and again, we are going to fail to live in the way we feel God wants us to live. Another effect is that I expect other Christians to be free from sin. And if they're not free from sin, I'm going to question or deny that they're Christians at all. See, instead of that attitude, we need to recognize that other Christians are just like us. They're sinners, saved only by faith in Christ, and who, like us, constantly need Christ's forgiveness. If we lose sight of the gospel of grace, then we are going to be judgmental and harsh people with one another. Then a third effect is, we basically start thinking, right, well, some people are just too immoral. They're too far gone to ever know Jesus. Again, this happens when we're depending on ourselves, when we're defining our Christian lives with the things we do and don't do. So we see people involved in things that we wouldn't do. We think, right, they're a lost, lost case, lost hope. Sometimes we forget that we are all sinners who deserve God's judgment. And the only hope for any of us is God's grace. See, remembering the gospel is absolutely vital to our spiritual health and our relationship with Christ, both individually and as a church. And that's why Peter is absolutely determined that the Christians he's writing to are going to have everything they need to remember this gospel after he's gone. I mean, that's why he's written this letter. That's why he's written 1 Peter, the letter before it. And that's why early Christian tradition tells us that Peter was pretty much the main source for Mark as he wrote his gospel of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. So what about us? If you're a Christian here today, are you like Peter in this commitment? Are you committed to passing on the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
If you're a parent here today, are you committed to passing on what you know of Jesus to your children? I mean, that is the awesome privilege and responsibility of any Christian parent. I mean, ask yourself, how can you teach your children and remind them of who Jesus is and what he's done for us without bribeating them into submission, without forcing them into the kingdom of God? It's a question I think we all need to ask, particularly the parents among us. How can we sensitively and compassionately share the gospel with children so they're going to remember the Lord and remember how they can know him when they are miles away from us, when away from us and away from our church? Again, to parents, what do you want your children to remember about you when you're gone? Peter wanted the Christians he was writing to to remember the gospel of grace, to remember Jesus. That was his priority. I think the same principle applies to all of our loved ones, to people in our home group, to members of our youth groups, to our junior church classes. I mean, I'm not a parent yet, but what will the members of the youth groups I've been involved in remember when I am just a long-distant memory to them in 20 years' time, 30 years' time? My prayer has to be like Peter's, that they are going to remember Jesus. They're going to remember the gospel of grace that can save them and keep them until they reach heaven. That is Peter's commitment here. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, is it ours? So in verses 12 to 15 then, Peter models for us our need to continue to remember the gospel of grace if we're going to remain faithful in our Christian lives. But then, and more briefly, in verses 16 to 21, he goes on to deal with why every Christian can actually put their trust in the gospel. Why the gospel is trustworthy. Because the thing is, when you look at verse 16, you can see, and and chapter 2 next week we'll see very clearly, there were plenty of false teachers around in Peter's day who basically claimed that the gospel Peter and the other apostles were preaching was actually based on lies. And Peter here passionately denies that. He defends his and the other apostles' account of the life of Jesus and he tells his readers that the gospel he passed on to them is true. So basically, why remember and trust the gospel of grace? Well, Peter tells us because through it we see, first of all, the glory of Jesus. That's verses 16 to 18. See, again, in these verses, Peter wants to reassure his readers they can trust what he told them about Jesus. That the Jesus he urges them to remember is the real Jesus. I'll just read verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but instead we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, Peter tells his readers... He was there. He was an eyewitness of Jesus' life. And just like those Christians Peter's writing to, we today can rejoice in the fact that Peter and the other eyewitnesses were determined to make every effort 
that what they saw Jesus do and what they heard Jesus teach would be remembered in the gospel accounts and in the letters they wrote in the New Testament. See, people in Peter's day accused Christians of following cleverly invented stories about Jesus. And people still accuse Christians of that today. But Peter is clear here. We were eyewitnesses. And then later, we ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. See, what Peter's referring to in verses 16 to 18 is the transfiguration. And that was basically an event where Peter, James and John were allowed to see Jesus clearly as God's appointed king. Basically, on that mountain, they see Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah, two of the big figures of the Old Testament. But they are listening to Jesus. He is clearly superior to them. And they suddenly see, through Jesus, the glorious light of God, of God's glory. So they can barely look at him. For a moment, the veil drops and they see Jesus in all his glory as God's appointed king. And seeing Jesus in that glory made a massive impression on Peter. And we can see that in the words he uses to describe it in verses 16 to 17. He talks about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So why is the transfiguration so important to Peter? Basically, what Peter's saying here is what he, James and John were privileged to see on that mountain was a trailer of what is to come. They saw Jesus in all his glory and majesty appointed by the Father as King and so Peter could look ahead with confidence to Jesus' return in glory when his glory will be seen by everyone, believer and non-believer, on the last day. You see, the false teachers we're going to see in chapter 3 deny that Jesus was ever coming back. But Peter's reply is, he had already seen something of Jesus' glory on that mountain. And he was amazed by it. See, Peter tells us about the transfiguration to encourage us and to lead us to worship Jesus because of his glory. Because he is glorious. See, the gospel of grace that Peter wants us to remember depends on Jesus. And Peter tells us here, Jesus is the glorious one and the trustworthy one. So Peter was in an amazingly privileged position that he saw Jesus on that mountain. But how can we see Jesus' glory today? We weren't with Peter on the mountain But we do have the eyewitness accounts of Peter and the others to lift our eyes to Jesus. And Peter's telling us here not to sell those eyewitness accounts short. We can sometimes feel, yeah, it's all very well having the words here, but 
couldn't I have had a sneak preview on that mountain as well? What we have to remember is that we actually, if we trust in Jesus, have God's Holy Spirit to open our eyes to Jesus' glory. To see Jesus' glory today through God's living word. We have the Old Testament that Peter's about to turn to and the New Testament to show us who our King really is. And we also have the cross where we really see the glory of the servant king, the glorious king who suffered and died so that we might know him. See, as Peter turns to the final section this morning, as he turns to the words of the prophets, he talks about them in verse 19 as a light shining in a dark place. And that light is the light that will reveal to us the glory of Jesus. Basically, Peter encourages his readers that the Jesus he followed for three years, the Jesus he saw transfigured on a mountain, the Jesus who died on a cross and rose again, is the same person who the prophets predicted for hundreds of years before he came. And we might expect Peter to rely a lot more on his own eyewitness accounts to tell us more about what he saw and heard Jesus do in his time on earth. We might even expect him to say that now that Jesus has come, we don't really need the Old Testament. We have Jesus. But no, he doesn't say that. See, the prophets predicted Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, it actually makes more sense to read what the prophets have to say, not less. See, the prophets predicted Jesus and Jesus makes sense of the prophets for us. The prophets wrote about Jesus and how much we all need him. So reading the prophets now helps us see even more of Jesus' glory. And Peter is just not ashamed. He tells his readers that the words of the prophets were God's words as well. That's verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origins in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And here in verse 21, Peter gives us a great image of how the Bible actually works, how the Bible can actually be something written by people but also be God's words. See, the image in verse 21 is from the world of sailing. And Peter, as a former fisherman, will be very familiar with it. But see, the idea is that the prophets are like sailors. They're in their boat. They hoist up the sail. I think hoist is the right word. Um, But then they're willing to travel, but they are totally dependent on the wind of God's Spirit to push them forward. Without the wind, they aren't going anywhere. And it's only when the wind of God's Spirit fills those sails that the boat can travel. It's only when the Holy Spirit inspires them that they can write God's words. And that is why Peter describes God's word as a light shining in a dark place. Because it is a light sent by God sent by God to help us see Jesus 
the glorious Saviour and the author of the Gospel of Grace. See, how we can see Jesus' glory is by paying attention to his word and allowing it to fill our hearts. By remembering the Gospel of Grace. By meditating on Jesus' death on the cross. By looking ahead to the day when we will see Jesus face to face verse 19 until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts you see God's word the gospel is our light in a dark world as we wait for Jesus to return and Peter urges us here to pay attention to that light to remember it in our lives because as we meditate on God's word as we hear his words through scripture as we meditate on God's grace and his glory in sending Jesus then we grow in our knowledge of Jesus and we like Peter can become overawed by the glory of Jesus as the light of God's word rises in our hearts. See, seeing the Bible as that light, I think really helps us when we feel the Bible can be a drab, a boring book. No, it's actually the light of God that reveals Jesus to us. But it's also important to say that our knowledge about Jesus will always be incomplete here in this world until that time when we meet him face to face and Peter is telling us here just as the transfiguration was a glorious experience something that blew him away that the day Jesus returns will be a glorious day for those who trust in him it will be an awesome day and it will also be a day when we have finally arrived home when we are finally freed from our sin and we get to meet the loving King who gave up everything for us and who graciously accepts us in spite of our sin and who pays the penalty so that we can know him. Peter's writing here in this passage to urge us to stay faithful until that day by remembering the gospel of grace by meditating on the glory of Jesus, by paying close attention to God's word. And then, Peter reminds us in the later chapters, our reward will be to see Jesus, the glorious one, the gracious one, and the one who will satisfy us with his love and with his goodness. Another apostle, Paul, wrote about that day in very similar words to Peter's. I'll just finish with this before we pray. Paul wrote, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now 
I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known.